Good morning, church. Good to see all of you, particularly those who have been away. Jacob and Geraldine and your children, welcome back. Uh, good to see some friends and also uh, visitors. We have Elder Paul and Ida from Penang. Uh, thank you for visiting our church. I think I met also Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin Tan is your father, uh, James Tan. Yeah, good, good. Uh, welcome, uh, brothers and sisters. I always look forward uh, Sunday not only to come and worship God together with you, but also to fellowship with you. You are my brothers and sisters. I always remember that I, I don't choose my biological brothers and sisters. Neither do I choose you. God choose you to be in God's forever family and we'll be together in a whole of eternity. Uh, today we'll be looking at Genesis chapter 23. Last year when Pastor Micah started the preaching from the book Genesis and then we, before we move into this new church and then the whole series was stopped for a while. And then when he assigned me this particular uh, chapter 23, the death of Sarah and the burial of Sarah. And then he stopped. I thought that was good. I don't have to deal with it. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult uh, topic to deal with it. And then uh, we have a new pastor, Pastor Joshua. And then uh, he embarked on First uh, John and uh, other books. And then he decided to continue Genesis chapter 20, uh, Genesis. And then he assigned me uh, Genesis chapter 23, where uh, Micah has given me, and then I did not preach, and then Joshua asked me to continue. So we will continue from Genesis chapter 23 all the way till the end. Um, I think it was uh, Dr. Leong who preached on Genesis chapter 22. So for those of you who have not been with us, uh, when we preach on the book on Genesis, uh, you will get a glimpse of it uh, as we go on. Uh, let's turn to the Word of God, Genesis chapter 23. Genesis chapter 23. And this is the Word of God. Sarah lived to be 127 years old. She died at Kiriath Arba, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And Abraham went to mourn for Sarah and to weep over her. Then Abraham rose from beside his dead wife and spoke to the Hittites. He said, I am an alien and a stranger among you. Sell me some property for the burial site here so I can bury my dead. The Hittites replied to Abraham, Sir, listen to us. You are a mighty prince among us. Bury your dead in the choices of our tombs. None of us will refuse you this tomb for burying your dead. And then Abraham rose and bowed down before the people of the land, the Hittites. And he said to them, If you are willing to let me bury my dead, then listen to me and intercede with Ephron, son of Zohar, on my behalf. So he will sell me the cave of Mapella which belongs to him and is at the end of his field. Ask him to sell it to me for the full price as a burial site among you. Ephron the Hittite was sitting among the people and he replied to Abraham in the hearing of all the Hittites who had come to the gate of his city. No, my Lord, he said, listen to me. I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people. Bury your dead. Again, Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, and he said to Ephron in their hearing, Listen to me, if, uh, if you will. I'll pay the price of the field. Accept it from me so I can bury my dead there. Ephron answered Abraham, Listen to me, my lord. The land is worth 400 shekels of silver, but what is that between me and you? Bury your dead. Abraham agreed to Ephron's terms and weighed out for him the price he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, 
according to the weight current among the merchants. And so Ephron's field in Mapella near memory, both the field and the cave in it, and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites who have come to the gate of the city. And afterward, Abraham buried his wife, Sarah, in the cave in the field of Machpelah, near Mamre, which is at Hebron, in the land of Canaan. And so the field and the cave in it were deeded to Abraham by the Hittite as a burial site. Let's pray. Gracious God, we come before you with a heart full of gratitude for your faithfulness. In moments when uncertainty clouds our understanding, we find comfort in knowing that you can be counted upon to fulfill your promises, even when circumstances seem perplexing. Lord, help us to trust in your steadfast love. Let us acknowledge that your plans will not fail. May our worship today be a testament to your faithfulness, a reminder that you are the constant anchor in our lives. In times of doubt, strengthen our faith. And in times of confusion and hardship, guide us with the assurance that your promises endure forever. We praise you for being our God, who remains true to your word, even when we struggle to comprehend. And as we gather in worship and listen to your word, may you fill our hearts with joy because of Jesus, to whom we have entered into a covenantal relationship with you. And we shall with you forever and ever. Amen. Now we are told that when Sarah died, she was 127 years old. And we recall in Genesis chapter 11 and 12, when Abraham was called by God to go to the land that God will show him, and Abraham obeyed. And together with Sarah, at the time her name was called Sarai, and they left Wu of Chaldeans, and they journey to the land and which in chapter 12, we are told that it is the land in Canaan. And that is the land that God say, I will give to you and to your descendants. And then when you look at chapter 12, 13, uh, 15 and 17, repeatedly the theme of the seed and the land uh, occurs many times. Uh, God kept telling uh, to Abraham that I will bless you with offspring, with descendants as numerous as the sky, as a star in the sky, and as a, uh, as a sand in the seashore. And then God also told Abraham that I will give you uh, this land, referring to the land in Canaan, uh, to you and your descendants as an everlasting possession. And if you know that when Abraham landed in Canaan land, they were Canaanites and many other other tribes uh, in, in the land. And then throughout their time, 62 years in Canaan land, they have gone through ups and downs. You could see and trace the faith of both Abraham and, and Sarah. Uh, they've gone through much. There were times when they were down, very much we can identify with them. Uh, when the difficulties come into their lives, such as famine and Abraham, uh, decided to move away from the promised land and went to a place where he could find food and security. And then he told lies twice. And, and when God uh, visited Abraham and then told Abraham that uh, I will give you a son, and at the time they were very old already. And the scripture tells us that in Genesis, both Abraham and Sarah already passed the age of uh, uh, childbearing. They could not conceive anymore. They were considered an old man. Perhaps uh, Sarah already had menopause and, by and, and medically it's impossible for Sarah to be conceived. And then we are told that Sarah laughed when she heard that uh, God is going to give them uh, a, a son. 
and she she laughed and that show that reveal about her faith and her faith in Yahweh went through ups and down and but for 62 years we can more or less say that their faith in God was unwavering in the sense they held on to the promises of, of God and then we are told that Sarah died at the age of 127 and the narrator emphasized that Sarah died in Hebron that is in the land of Canaan in uh, verse verse 2 you notice verse 2 and then in verse 19 the narrator again emphasized that after Abraham acquired the land the burial plot for Sarah and he buried his wife Sarah in the cave in the field of Mepelah near Memory, which is at Hebron in the land of Canaan. Now why did the narrator emphasize uh, twice, although it is a fact that he's, he was stating, but I think the narrator deliberately emphasized the fact that Sarah uh, died in the land of Canaan, in the land that God promised. She never moved away. She and Abraham never moved away from the promised land, except one or twice uh, because of famine. Uh, but they, for the 62 years, by and large, they stay in the land of Canaan. And then she died there. But the author is actually not so much focusing on, uh, on the Sarah's death. Although I think there's much to be talked about, uh, particularly for old couples like Manika and uh, Linda, myself and my wife. Uh, often I talk to Sarah, uh, uh, to Constance. In fact, last night I was again talked to uh, Constance about this sermon. Uh, we talk about death. I think it's good to talk about death. Uh, Christians should not be scared of death. I think it's good to talk about that and to look at the scripture. What does the scripture talk about death? And for older couples, I think you live your life, you could reminisce and think back the life that you live together, your faith in God and how God has walked with you, how you have walked with God and deepened your relationship with one another and God, how God has revealed himself to you. And that kind of faith, that kind of life as a married couple is amazing, is wonderful. Uh, it's not just living for material things. It's not just living for the now, here and now. It's living with the perspective of eternity. And uh, I have much conversation uh, with Constance. And so here, the writer is actually, of course, a New Testament writer shed light on this topic. Uh, the New Testament writer gives several names, including uh, Abraham and Sarah, about these people who live living in faith they also die in their faith meaning that they kept their faith they never rejected god they never turned away from god they continue to serve god until their dying moment they continue to believe in the in the promises of god they continue to believe in what god say to them all the way until they die that's why the scripture commented them praised them that that they please god by the way they live their faith and Sarah is one of the examples that without seeing the fulfillment of the promises with regard to the land, and she died. Is what, what a kind of faith that she has. For Sarah, she only see the partial fulfillment of God's promises with regard to the promise of descendants. She only had Isaac. She didn't live to see uh, Jacob, she didn't live to see the, the, the descendants as, the, as, as like the star in the sky. She, didn't, she only had a see, experience, a partial fulfillment of the promises of God. So when we read this part of the scripture, we will see that her faith in Yahweh, the God who made the covenant with Abraham, she kept that faith. We can say that she died in her faith, believing in God and his promises that God is faithful. And that is the kind of life that I feel that not only women like Sarah, 
uh, all the women, Christian women must leave, must exhibit, but all the men too. So as I said that the focus is not so much on uh, Sarah, uh, although it is important to mention that uh, Sarah died without seeing the promises of God concerning the land, and yet she still continued to believe and die and keeping her faith. That's much I want to say concerning Sarah. But the narrator focused a large portion in chapter 23 on the negotiation between Abraham and the Hittites, particularly uh, Ephron who owned the, the, the cave of Mapella and, uh, and, the, and the field and the trees and all this. And, uh, and uh, Abraham negotiated with Ephron in the presence of the Hittites, the elders in the city gates. And elder here referred to the older people and of course in the presence of the leaders. Huh? And large portion of that was focusing on the negotiation. Now why did, why did the writer do that? And that I think there is a significant something for you and I to take note of. So let's look at the <coughs> part on Abraham negotiating uh, with, with, the, with the Hittites. Now, of course, for the practical purposes, Abraham needed to bury Sarah. No, there's no Nirvana in those days. You can't call the agent, you know, alike today. Anything happened, you just call Nirvana, and then you call some uh, uh, agent to say, so-and-so uh, died, and I need a plot of land or cremation. Of course, in those days, they never think of cremation, even, even the Hittites. They buried their dead. So Abraham didn't have that kind of a service provider. He wanted to buy some property for a burial site to bury Sarah. But he was a pendatang. He was a pendatang. In the conversation, we heard that he said, I am an alien, a stranger among you. Sell some property for a burial site here so I can buy my dead. I think your, your ESV say, give me. But actually, in the context, he, Abraham asked them to sell. He wanted to buy. He wanted to buy. He never owned any land. To me, this is the most ironic in the whole of Genesis chapter 23. Uh, whole of Genesis chapter 23. We follow the story that when God told Abraham that I will give you this land, and in chapter 15, I think it was in chapter 15, if you look at the time when Abraham separated from Lord, and in verse 18, on the day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham and said, To your descendant, I will give you this land from river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Canaanites, Canaanites, and the Hittites, and all this. Now he had to negotiate with the Hittites just for a small piece of land, a burial plot. Uh, he was looking at the, the cave of Mapella. I believe that before Sarah died, Abraham was already looking for a burial plot. The scripture never tells us the, the, the cause of Sarah's death. We, we do not know. But I'm sure that Abraham was really eyeing the cave of Mapella. And he said the cave of Mapella was in memory. Memory is a very special place for Abraham. It was the place where he set up an altar and God appeared to him and spoke to him. It is a place where there's so much memories of his, uh, of his experience with God. So memory in Hebron, in the land of Canaan, is the very place that Abraham wanted himself to die there, to be buried there by his future descendants. Now he got a son, Isaac, and he knows that Isaac will bury him. And he would not live to see so many of his other descendants. And so he was eyeing that plot of land. Can you imagine the big promises of God telling you the description of the land, the vast land from the rivers of Egypt all the way you could see uh, in, in, your, in your map, big promise, but short in delivery. 
Is that the kind of God that you believe? But Abraham knew that God has promised him all this land, land in Canaan. But you see that Abraham never indulged in self-pity. He never complained and said, God, you promised me now I got to I got to back. I got to back the Hittites to give me a piece of land. You know, I remember the time uh, many years ago when uh, my son Samuel was born and then there was a contamination in the clinic and the doctor came from my church and uh, asked, asked me to bring Samuel back to the clinic and, uh, and give him injection for 40 days. And uh, because there are some issue, you know, of uh, babies who were born and very sick. And finally, he told me one time, he said, you need to bring your son uh, Samuel uh, to the to the specialist center in Johor Bahru. I remember I was in the clinic, and then he saw my face. He knew that uh, I I had some issue, and then he and then the, his wife, who is also a doctor, uh, passed me an envelope and say, uh, Pastor, this is the money for you to give as a deposit when you go to the specialist center. I remember walking out of the clinic. I I was holding Samuel, and I started tearing and crying, and I and I was indulge in self-pity i say god what if i continue as an engineer i wouldn't have to be in this such a pathetic situation and concern was an accountant i say why why do we have to suffer as a pastor like this that we don't even have money and to bring my son to the specialist center but i've forgotten about the promises of god god promised that i will not leave you nor forsake you i will provide for you and of course, I, to cut the long story short, in a hospital, after the, uh, uh, the treatment, I have a friend who came from Singapore, give me an envelope, and the amount is exactly the amount that the hospital charged me. And I, I cried, and I knew that God spoke to me again to say that, because God knew that I love mathematics, God speak my love language. The exact amount cannot be coincidental. And this friend of mine doesn't even know. He heard of somebody that I brought uh, my, my son to the hospital. And the exact amount. And of course, I have many stories of such uh, how God provided. God had promised and then big promise. But then you look at in reality in life, often we encounter like as if that God doesn't keep his word. But is God like that? And so Abraham negotiated with the Hittites and said that uh, uh, sell me the land or give me the land. And then he, he, he was having that kind of uh, negotiation. Uh, it's very interesting, uh, the, uh, this uh, Western writer in the commentary, they say that you need to understand the Middle Eastern uh, uh, bargaining. Of course, I, I was reading, I was thinking that, of course, the Westerner, they don't know. Uh, you know, I mean, the Asian and uh, Malaysian, we know, particularly my generation, those who are my generation, uh, uh, those days when we go to uh, shop, uh, of course, these days, the shopping mall is very different, really. the price is all fixed one. The joy of uh, shopping, actually, is bargaining. I remember those days, uh, I mean, you bargain, uh, $50, no, la, 50 is too expensive. 20 la. Then the shopkeeper said, no, 20 cannot, we, we, we will lose the money. 40, la, you know, keep bargaining until you come to a price uh, that you both are happy. So the Western writer here say that when Ephron stated the price 400 shekel, uh, when Ephron initially said, no, la, what is that between you and me? You know, like you are my brother or bro. You know, take it la. You know, you look at the text uh, in verse 10 to uh, 11, uh, uh, telling uh, Ephron, say to uh, Abraham, listen to me. Uh, I give you the field and I give you the cave that is in it. I give it to you in the presence of my people, bury your dead. You can trust me. I give you not only the cave to bury your dead, I also give you the field, the land. I give you, you know. Actually, they say that Ephron not really want to give. He knows that Abraham will offer the price. And true enough, uh, 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 Abraham 
bow down before the people of the land and said to Ephron, listen to me, if you will, I will pay the price of the field, accept it from me so that I can bury my dead. And then verse 14, immediately Ephron jumped, jumped to that and said, listen to me, my Lord, the land is worth 400 shekels of silver. And that is a very exorbitant price for a cave in Mapella and for a field, a small plot of land and with several trees. A very small plot of land. And they say that this compared to the price that uh, David bought and many others bought, uh, uh, this is a very exorbitant. But the kind of thing that you see, it is not so much bargaining. I think uh, uh, Abraham did not bargain for the price and immediately he gave and paid the 400 shekels of silver. And he now has the right as an owner to the land. Now, the issue is that we want to ask, why did Abraham insist on buying the land and the burial plot from Ephron instead of accepting the free offer? Why, why did he not accept as a free offer? Why did he insist on buying the land and pay the price 400 sh uh, 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 shekel of silver? Did you ever think about that when you read this part? Why did he insist on wanting to pay? Of course, some would think that, oh, Abraham never want to have anything free from people. He believed that God is the one who will bless him. Remember when he fought the five kings and then the Sodom king of Sodom wanted to uh, give him uh, uh, properties, the gifts, and he said, no, I, 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 my God will, you know, is the one who will bless me. I, he doesn't look to people to bless. Some would think that, think that. But I would think that the issue is this. Is the issue of ownership. That Abraham wants a permanent and legally recognized possession for the burial of his wife Sarah. And perhaps also for himself and his future descendants. By purchasing the land, Abraham ensures a very clear and undisputed ownership. So it is an issue of ownership securing a place for his family burial. He doesn't want Ephron and his future descendants and one day want to claim back, you know, oh, my, my, my father give you the land free, now we need it, really want to take back. So he doesn't want this thing to happen. The emphasis is really his insistence on purchasing the burial plot, not only review his understanding of ownership, but really is a demonstration of his faith in God's promise regarding the land of Canaan. Abraham could have taken, could have taken Sarah's body back to his hometown, but he did not do that. He would not bury his wife in, a, in his uh, uh, Earl of uh, Chaldeans, but in a, in a promised land. So by acquiring a specific piece of Canaanite land for Sarah's burial, Abraham is acting in anticipation of the fulfillment of the broader promise of God to give him and his descendants the entire land. He was anticipating in the fulfillment of what God had already promised him. Although he did not yet possess the whole land. This is only a down payment. Now, those of us who have bought house, you know, isn't it? You do down payment with the view that you will finally have that house in your possession, legally own the whole thing. So, this is only a down payment. This is the first fruit of the, of the future inheritance. The inheritance is bigger than this plot of land. He's acting in faith, they're believing that in the future, he, will, he and his descendants will inherit the entire land of Canaan. So this reflects Abraham's confidence in God's faithfulness and his commitment to God's covenant. Even in the seemingly small and practical aspects of life, like securing a burial place. The action underscore 
the depth of Abraham's faith. Now, in Genesis 22, we saw the testing of Abraham's faith with regard to the seed. God really given him the, the, the son, the promised son, Isaac. And then, next minute, God told him to sacrifice Isaac in the Mount of Moriah. That is a big test, a big decision that he has to act on it. And what did the text say, 22? Abraham acted and then brought Isaac to the Mount of Moriah, wanted to sacrifice. And that God provided the ram. Uh, and, and of course, New Testament writers say that uh, Abraham believed that even if he killed Isaac, God will resurrect Isaac and give him back the son. He really believed that. But how many of us have that kind of faith? You think, sacrifice your son. You go on in charity. Can you do that? The only son. Can you do that? I will find it very difficult. That is a big test. And now in chapter 23, it is also another test. Would Abraham leave Canaan land and go back to his own land and bury Sarah? And thinking that, what man? God promised to give this land. Now I got to beg the Hittites for even a small plot of land. God promised big thing. But now, where am I? In really in life, I got to beg people. So what, what, what is this? Abraham already had an experience of the faithfulness of God. God is absolutely trustworthy. You know, faith uh, doesn't rise to the big overnight one. All of us throughout our life, God keeps taking us in order that we might come to know Him, knowing God. The land that God gave to Abraham and his descendants is so that God will dwell in the land, giving them the law, so that eventually, in the time of Moses, the people of God will come through the law, come to know God. Uh, and, and this is a picture of what in the future will be. And it points back to the time of Eden, when Adam and Eve failed. They broke their relationship with God and they were exiled. And then God will restore that broken relationship of humanity by God promise that God will give the seed, the seed of the woman will come and crush the head of the serpent. And that points to the fact that one day the Messiah will come and crush the head of Satan. And the seed of the Messiah will come from the line of Abraham. And the gospel was preached to, to Abraham. Abraham heard the gospel. He knew the gospel. The Messiah will come. And so in chapter 23, Abraham got no problem in negotiating with the Hittites. He knew that by faith, God will provide the plot of land, build a plot for Sarah. It's a very small thing. You know, every small act in your life, but it does reflect your faith in the bigger thing of the broader promise of God. Later, I come to the application uh, in, in our context. So, so when you see this, you see the faith of Abraham. And then we see that in verse 16, Abraham agreed to Ephraim's term and then he weighed out. So now he legally, as a pendatang, as a sojourner, he legally owned the land. Permanently owned the land, small plot of land, although it's a small plot of land. And verse 17 is a summary statement. And so, Ephraim's field in Mapella near memory. Mapella actually in the Hebrew means double, double hole, mean a big cave that can put many bodies. And even today, uh, uh, they say you can still find, find this in, uh, in, uh, in Israel. And they say there's already a, a mosque there. And, and, and the writers say that both the field and the cave in it and all the trees within the borders of the field was deeded to Abraham as his property in the presence of all the Hittites. Twice the narrator used the word deeded. Deeded to Abraham in verse 17. And in verse 20, so the field and the cave were deeded to Abraham by the Hittites as the burial site. The narrator emphasized that Abraham now legally is the owner of the small plot of land. And this small plot of land is a reflection of his faith 
in the broader promise of God of the of the the future inheritance of the land of Canaan. So Abraham looked at the whole land of Canaan. Probably in his negotiation, he was thinking, one day this shall be mine, the whole land, or my descendants shall own this land. Now I will buy this plot, this cave to bury my wife Sarah. So he had he had that that uh, that uh, that confidence that God will fulfill that. So what is, is relevance for us today? What, what do you think uh, this passage has is relevant to us today? The question that you and I need to answer. Last week, Pastor Joshua read Hebrew chapter 11, uh, verses 13 to 16. But he also alluded to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 and 2. That what is faith? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Uh, you hope for certain things, and the conviction of things unseen. You know, like Abraham have not seen the whole land given to him, but he have the conviction that God will fulfill His promise. He have the assurance of things that he hoped for. He longed for that land. Of course, uh, Hebrew uh, chapter. 11 also tells us that he was looking for even a better better country. He see himself was only a sojourner. That even this land point to, to the future, uh, the city of God. He was looking for that. The city that, uh, that God is the builder and the, and the, and the founder. And, and, the, and for that faith, for that by faith, the people of all received their commendation. So the question to you and I is that, do we trust God for the future? Do we trust Him for the future reward? Do you know what is your future reward? What has God promised you of the future reward? Of course, many of us think of the new heavens and new earth. I, I long for that because of my wife's condition. I often picture, in fact, I just told concern one day, you know, I will see you. In the new heavens and inner, I will see you jumping and leaping and running, you know. What a joy that will be. I long for that. But I long far more than that, that we will be with God forever. We will be in the presence of God. God we know, in a sense, in this life, not as uh, uh, in a, what I described in a, in a book of Revelation. We will see Jesus face to face. So the land actually, when every time in Genesis, if you read through, uh, when God say, I will give this land to you and your descendants, and then there is also a verse, he say, and I will be their God. So the foremost thing is the land is to be a place where God dwells and people submitting under the authority of God by obeying his words, by obeying God's words. And then this point to the fact in the new heavens, new earth, that we long for a better city, not that we will have in the place of uh, abundance and enjoy the kind of abundance, but really the thing, the key thing is that broken relationship with God is restored. We will have that kind of relationship with God, face-to-face uh, uh, -face with Jesus. So what is the final inheritance that God has promised us through, through His Son? What has God promised you? Is it not the eternal salvation? Is it not the eternal salvation, the forgiveness of sin, experience the total forgiveness of sin, and adoption as sonship? And there are so much things that promise in the, in the, in the scripture. One of the things is that of the, uh, the heaven, in the new heaven, new earth, where there is no more pain, no more sickness, no more sin, no more sickness, no more Satan. All the things that we, we have been uh, in this life, have uh, been uh, uh, acquainted with or assaulted and will not be there. So I, I begin to think, I said, how can be no more sin? Of course, heaven, if there's sin, then it's not heaven. And what about we as uh, 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 people of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus. What about our sin nature? Uh, in this life, 
although we have a spirit in us that, that fight against the flesh, but we still have this sinful nature in us that has never been taken away that causes to, to sin. Although the bondage and the power of sin has been broken. But in new heaven and new earth, we will be given a new nature. And interesting, the theologians call it the impeccability of our human nature. Meaning that we will not incline to sin. We will not want to sin. We do not want to sin anymore in our new nature in heaven. And so that kind of thing is wonderful. What God promises us. So what does it mean for us to live by faith? Now how many Christians whom you know have walked away from God because of fixating on their difficult circumstances and lost confidence in the promises of God? Every circumstance in life, every uh, situation that brings in difficulties and if you fixate your mind on the problem, on either your sicknesses or your brokenness or whatever, uh, you will lose confidence in the promise of God if you fixate that. But do you do they do these people when they walk away from God? Do they not believe that God is faithful, that He will surely keep the covenant He made with them through Jesus, just as God made His covenant with Abraham? I believe that by the mercy of God, God will enable the believers to persevere in their faith. So what we do see believers walking away maybe only temporarily walking away. And we will continue to pray that they will firmly believe in the promises of God. But God himself will enable them to persevere, to come back to him. Because God is a covenant-making God. He is also a covenant-keeping God. God say, I will be your God forever. I will be your God and so God approved the Old Testament believers. They were commended of their faith. Their faith sustained them in good times and in bad times, in prosperity and suffering. Now, I do want you to think that this passage only to do with people who are suffering, uh, like in, a, in, a, in a Hebrew chapter 11, talk about persecution, torture, and even death, you know. But Hebrew chapter 11 also talk about something good. Some people are spared from all this. In whatever situation in life, there is always a testing of your faith. If you are wealthy and rich and powerful, the danger is that this may become your idol. You may also forgotten about the promises of God. The danger of prosperity and wealth is this, that you think that you, can, you have succeeded in life, you do need God. Everything that money can solve, that can be also a danger. But those who are in a, in a dire situation, in, in great difficulty, also have a different kind of problem. The rich think that they do need God. The poor and those who are suffering think that God doesn't need me. God don't want me anymore. So both is also a test of the faith. It's a testing of faith. Faith sustain the Old Testament people, their faith sustain them in good times and in bad times, in prosperity and suffering. These believers put their faith in what was promised, and yet they did not receive the promise. Hebrews 11 says that they did not receive the promise, or they may receive the promise only partially, or they experience partially the promises of God. And remarkably, they did not stop believing, even though the promise was not yet fulfilled. So like them, we may experience the fulfillment of only some specific promises, like the forgiveness of sin we experience. The full adoption of sonship we have not yet experienced. The glorification of our bodies we have not experienced. We are going to have a resurrected body we have not experienced. What does it mean by to have a body that will not have sicknesses? What does it mean by to have a body that will not want to sin? We have not yet experienced that. We have not experienced what the scripture talk about, the eschatological rest. We are always restless, always striving. You know, we're not resting in God, in his salvation that he has given to us. Because why? We are constantly wanting to earn something. Either earning the approval of our boss, earning the approval of our parents, earning the approval of God. And we do know that God has already loved us with an everlasting love. We do not need to earn his approval. 
He has already given his approval through his son, Jesus Christ. He gave his son, Jesus, to die for us. We are more loved by God than we ever understand. God so loved us that he gave his son. That whosoever believe in him, that he might have eternal life. And so the, the, the eternal inheritance in terms of the fullness of salvation, the eschatological rest, real resting in God, and the glorification, the new heavens and the new earth, where there is no sickness, no pain, no tear, no death. And we will receive a resurrected immortal body. And we will be eternally in the presence of God. And so heaven is the ultimate home. That is the big promise of God. But meanwhile, we will go through life. And so we need to live and engage everything we do with a heavenly and eternal perspective in mind. We mustn't think that, oh, we are journeying towards heaven and so don't care about the earth. I think Christians should be the one that most involved in the care of creation because God is in the business of, of restoring his lost paradise. God is in the, in, the, in the business of restoring everything. And so Christians should be the ones who should live and engage everything that you do with heavenly and eternal perspective in mind. Hold your wealth not tightly. You know, let your wealth be a blessing to people. Let not your sickness make you turn away from God. Let not the sickness make you whining and complaining because God will have a heavenly home for you. And everything we do must be the heavenly and eternal perspective in mind. Just as Abraham demonstrated his faith. A small act of buying a burial plot reflecting his faith in a bigger thing of the entire promised land. And so what we do today, the sacrifices you make, if God were to call you, like listen, God called you to Japan and you have come back and then you're going back there again. And Japan is the place where God has called you and you might encounter difficulties. Not this, uh, I mean, not your daughter, the listen, sister listen, uh, listen. And, and, and God is going to provide for you. And, and as you engage that, you know that you are engaging with a long view. You know, you, you take a long view of life momentarily hardship sacrifices is nothing compared to what is the glory that is to come we take a long view of life grounded in the promise of god and we live our life totally trusting god in all circumstances faith trusts god in triumphs but faith also trusts god in tragedies faith trusts god in the highs of life and in the lows of life faith gives itself entirely to god and if god ordains victory through faith as he did through many examples in the old testament and so faith rejoices in the goodness that god gives but if god does not give you goodness and for some reason you know you are among the many that you suffer more than any anyone else i would say you are more blessed because why I'm personally going through. In all my years, I would say that I come to know God more than what I have learned through all the good times. God actually deepened your relationship. It is through suffering and through hardship because God challenges me. If I do not give you all these things, do you still want me? I say, yes, Lord, I want you because you have shown yourself to be faithful all these years and I've come to know you and more so you have promised me of the great promises in the days to come you know of the, if, uh, the, 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 the inheritance that you have promised who am I? I'm unworthy yet you give your son Jesus to die for me so that I can be with you in the whole of eternity and what more you give me the whole family of God you know the forever family of God and we will be in a new heavens and new earth. These are far more than what I have lost or what I'm going to, what I'm enduring of the suffering. So if there's suffering, hardship, deprivation, great disappointment, faith holds on to God, 
knowing that a better resurrection will come and that pain and the bad treatment of the present world will not last. Abraham himself did not live to see to the full, complete fulfillment of the promise of God with regards to the land. When he died, he only had a small plot of a burial plot for Sarah and the few, the land and the few trees in memory, a wonderful place that God has met up with him. And one day he knows that he's journeying home and God shall be with him forever. God will be his God. And Sarah died in her faith, never lived to see even the land that God, a small plot of land that owned by, by Abraham, her husband. She never lived to see that. So her faith, she kept her faith even when she's due her death. And both the example here, Sarah and Abraham, show us that even God's promises did not come to fulfillment in our life. We can continue to believe and hold on to his promises. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word in Genesis chapter 23. Seemingly a very mundane thing, mundane thing in life about the death of Sarah and the burial of Sarah and how Abraham acquired the burial plot for Sarah. But really it's about a chapter about Abraham again being tested of his faith uh, with regard to the prom your promise uh, with regard to the land. And you have proven again and again that God, you will surely fulfill your promise. So we thank you for all these examples in the Old Testament. But we also want to thank you for the example of men and women in our church when we look at them. Lord, we too are inspired. Like for me, when I look at Monica and Linda, and Philip and Josephine, and many elderly people in our church, of their faith in you, they're continuing serving you, believing in your promise of the future inheritance. And together with them, Lord, we will learn to be faithful and trust you fully. In the small things that we do every day, may it reflect our complete trust in the good God that you are, that you are the covenant-making God and you are the covenant-keeping God. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.